Welcome back to another edition of the Making the Madness College Basketball Podcast. I'm Jonathan here with Sean, and we we had you know another good weekend. We had Christmas Day games, which uh, was sensational just to watch. Uh, I was constantly uh, looking at the Christmas Day games, flipping back and forth between because like NBA is traditionally the Christmas thing, but you're having all those the games ramp- are terrible. Yeah, luckily College Hoops had the two best games of the day, and that's including the NFL game, which was also terrible. So. Hey, Alvin Kamara had six touchdowns, though. I mean, that was uh, more watchable than seeing Golden State lose by 40 and seeing uh, whoever the uh, – who did the Lakers play? The Lakers played, right? Uh, they beat somebody yeah, by they a lot. Yeah, they beat the Mavericks. Yeah, they beat the Mavericks by a lot. But the Mavericks do have a transitive win over the Lakers because they beat the Clippers by about $5 billion. But this is a college basketball podcast. Indeed. So I think the thing we got to start out with, um, sorry, Kevin Sweeney, it's not going to be Northwestern. It's going to be Gonzaga once again. Uh, they just obliterated Virginia. They only won... Uh, 98 to 75, only a 23 point victory. Playing absolutely no one. Uh, Gonzaga just continues to rack up these easy wins uh, over easy, you know, opponents. Virginia, number 16 team in the country. They should have been playing the number 15 team in the country. Bring out all the narratives. Gonzaga's good. Yeah, I mean, whatever narratives are out there that Gonzaga doesn't play anybody, it's going to be out there because that's what the casual fans think. It's not going to change no matter who they play. But this Gonzaga team has the potential to be a legendary team, like a top-five team all-time in college basketball. If they are able to go undefeated and cut down the nets, I've been saying that since, I don't know what, since I've been writing on the site, like May, June, even after Petrusev left, I'm like, this team's still going to go undefeated. I've thought that for a long time, and I think it's still going to happen, but a lot of people are saying that now. But I, one thing I want to say is how hard it is to do that. There's a reason it hasn't happened since 1976. It's because it's like borderline impossible to do because the tournament is so random. Anything can happen on any given game in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and look, I, I think we both – are along the basis that Gonzaga is going to enter into the NCAA tournament undefeated. That's, I think, a pretty obvious statement right now. Uh, you know, they're just, like, you look at the rest of the ro- their roster, is just more talented than anyone they'll face. And maybe they schedule Baylor, maybe Baylor beats them, but unless that happens, there's just no beating Gonzaga because you look at the teams like St. Mary's, BYU, San Francisco. Those are the three toughest games. Like, Mm -hmm. Like, who's staying with them? And like... I think San Francisco's the only team that can stay with them, and I don't think they stay with them. I just think they could be close for like a half, and people are going to be like, oh, upset watch, turn to... www.wcc.com or whatever these games are streamed on because none of them were ever nationally televised. So, like like San Francisco did last year, they were close twice against them, 
ended up losing. But a similar thing happened in 2015. They were undefeated going into the final regular season game of the year, and they lost to BYU. Things like this can happen if they just have an off night. But this team seem, seems immune to an off night. Yeah, and looking at their schedule, I bet they're just going to be a lot of, like, 10 p.m. Eastern West Coast Conference games that, like, look at their schedule, all their games, with the exception of the Thursday night St. Mary's game are on Saturday. So I guess if if you um, like watching great basketball on Saturday, that's probably the nightcap of the day. It's either that or uh, maybe the Pac-12 game. Maybe but. a little Hawaii hoops at 9 p.m. my time, so like midnight Eastern. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. But Gonzaga dominated in this game. Corey Kispert with 32 points. He wasn't missing. He's just the best shooter in college basketball, probably. Drew Timmy inside, obviously, the best duo in the country. And then Jalen Suggs didn't even do much, but they don't need him to, and they still won by 25. Joel Ayai, I think, had three points. He didn't do much either, but he doesn't need a score. He's good at everything. This is just a team that can have an off night from a couple guys, and they're still going to probably beat by 20 or 30. Yeah, and I, I, I think I tweeted, like, in the first half, Jalen Suggs has zero points, and he's the projected, like, people are legitimately talking about him being the projected number one pick. Now I'd still go Cade Cunningham, but there's a mm-hmm. discussion to be had there. Uh, and he had zero points at the time, and Gonzaga's up by 30. That's how good they are. Yeah, and obviously they're the favorites to win all this season, as they should be. But I tweeted last night, I was just thinking at 10 p.m. my time, because what else did I be thinking about? That I want, how crazy to be, obviously it's not going to happen, but this team wins it all. And then Jalen Suggs is like, you know what? The NBA can wait a year. Corey Kispert uses the extra year, and everybody comes back, and they just win two in a row like Florida did in the mid-2000s with Joe Kim Noah, Corey Brewer, Al Horford. I would do anything to see that happen. It's not going to happen, but I wish it would. Yeah, I don't see. I I don't see Kisper, Ayai, or Suggs returning. I think that I think that Timmy is going to enter the draft, and we see what happens. I think Ayai enters the draft, and we see what happens. But the thing to remember about a guy like Andrew Nemhard, obviously none of this matters for another like seven months. But a thing to remember about Nemhard is that you can only test the NBA draft waters twice without staying in, and he's done it twice. He entered it after his freshman season, and he entered after last year at the same time he entered the transfer portal and withdrew his name, but technically still entered. He put his name into the draft, so he cannot enter again unless he plans on staying in. Yeah. I could see – here's my thing with Nimhart. I could see him just staying because he's like, well, I didn't – I was kind of like overshadowed by Jalen Suggs, Ayayi, Timmy, Kisper. I want to be the superstar on the team, which I think, you know, he was planning on sitting out this year. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, they're like, well, let's just apply for a waiver, see what happens. And he gets it, and now he's playing. Uh, but, like, his original plan, I think, was to sit out and be the superstar of next year's team. We'll see if maybe he does that, but... I think I would say of the, you know, death lineup players, he's the most likely to return. 
Yeah, definitely. And just going on the other side with Virginia, we haven't spoken about them yet. Obviously, they lost by 23. I didn't think they were going to be able to stop Gonzaga, and they weren't able to. But the the encouraging thing is that they scored 75 points. Kihei Clark has been a disaster this season. They scored 19 in this one. That's got to be an encouraging sign. Trey Murphy had 15 off the bench. Sam Hauser has had a lot better games in his career. And Jay Huff was in foul trouble. He only played 13 minutes. But for Virginia to be successful this season, they need to give the guy who's averaging 11 points a game, who's shooting 68% from the floor and 50% from the deep, from deep the ball more, because Jay Huff is tremendous. They just don't give him the ball enough. Him shooting as little attempts as he is is a problem, and that needs to change. But the whole ACC is kind of struggling right now. The upper half all has glaring issues. Duke, I mean, they're not even playing tomorrow because of COVID issues with Pitt. But they don't have a true star. Jalen Johnson's hurt. You look at Virginia, they're scoring, you know, still an issue. Then you look at other teams like UNC, they don't have any guard play. They can't shoot. They turn the ball over a ton. Same issues as, like, Kentucky, obviously not in the ACC. We look at Louisville. They're dealing with a lot of injuries. Clemson can't score. So right now, I know this probably sounds crazy, but I think from top to bottom, the best team in the ACC is Syracuse. That. You know, someone has to be the best team in the ACC, and I... Yeah, right now, give me Syracuse. Quincy Garrier might be the ACC player of the year right now. Joe Girard, he's really up and down. He needs to get it going. Buddy Beheim's been bad, but Alan Griffin has been probably the best, one of the best transfers in college basketball. He's a big-time player. Kadari Richmond will be a big freshman down the stretch. Merrick Gullish is a good player. Syracuse is a really good basketball team this year. Yeah. I think the thing with the ACC is, like, there's just there's a lot of good basketball teams. There's no just no teams. yeah, none that stand out more than any other. So I, I guess Syracuse could come out and win it. Uh, Virginia Tech I guess technically has the lead right now. Ugh, gross. Uh, so you know anything could happen in the ACC, but I'd still I personally would still I guess peg Virginia the favorite. But it's mm-hmm. – I I don't know who's going to win the ACC, honestly. Like, I, I've watched these teams, and some of them give me confidence, but none of them – like, they all seem like back half top 25 teams, like all the good ones. And, like, the league, like, just looking at it, probably going to get, like, eight teams in the NCAA tournament, probably what they'll end up getting. But just – It'll, no team will be like a top four seed, at least. I I don't see it being that way. Like, uh, they'll put eight teams in the tournament, and they'll all be between a five and an 11 seed. That's how I see the ACC going. Yeah, I don't disagree. Uh, there's going to be some dangerous teams in there, especially like Louisville if they can get healthy. But, like, Florida State, they're a team that we were both down on a bit. They've looked really good at times, but then they lose to UCF, and they almost lose to Gardner-Webb. Scotty Barnes has to figure it out. I mean, we expected him. Like, he's been good on defense, a good rebounder, good facilitator, but he cannot shoot the basketball at all. He's shooting 24% from – or 26% from three and 41% from the free throw line. Yeah. Uh, he – I think the thing is he just – He's not aggressive enough, and uh, I think his key is he needs to 
focus on trying to be the guy and too many times he's just okay with being just another role player like that's that's what I think Sky Barnes issue is yeah and Anthony Polite speaking of Florida State he's been one of the sneakiest breakout players in the country this year he's been super impressive last year he only had five points a game but he's a big lefty that can shoot the ball and defend nice three and D uh, two guard slash wing kind of guy feels like that Leonard Hamilton created him in a lab and because he's the exact player that Leonard Hamilton likes to have. Yes, it is. Uh, moving on here, we're going to Christmas. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit about college hoops on Christmas. Uh, what are your thoughts on it being a thing? I know it was only the Big Ten this year, but it was certainly enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten's the best conference college basketball. If we get we, we make it a tradition where we get four Big Ten games every Christmas – I'm more than in on that easily. I'll easily watch those over NBA games. Like, I'm much more of a college basketball guy than NBA guy. I'll watch an NBA game for sure. But, I mean, all the people that were tweeting me when I said, I think it's a good thing we're having college basketball because they're going to be on campus anyways and they want to play. Let's let them play. And people are like, ah, it's a tradition for the NBA to play. Would you rather watch a Minnesota game where Minnesota's down seven with 40 seconds left and they're able to come back, send it to OT on two late Marcus Carr threes or watch the Bucks beat the Warriors by like 80 points? I think we could all come to an agreement on what the better game is because I believe the margin of victory for all the NBA games were like every game, the team that won won by like 20 plus. That's just not entertaining. And every single college basketball game was pretty down to the wire. Maybe not the Michigan-Nebraska one, but Nebraska was even in it a bit late. Yeah, I think the thing about this is it's kind of a one-off season. Because, like, I don't think it's going to happen in the future. Like, it could. But, like, it, mo- this is just such a weird year because you have the pandemic. You're you probably shouldn't send the players home to their families as bad as that sounds just because that as an issue. Yeah. I think like Pittsburgh sent home their players now has COVID issues. Like it's a thing that like you want to send your players home for Christmas. I completely get that. This is just, it's a tough year. Uh, overall and it you you can't do that without expecting a couple players to pop back positive it's just unthinkable to do so so I think while while this year it was certainly fun to see and I think the players enjoyed playing on Christmas uh, certainly I wouldn't think it would become too too big of a trend maybe it ends up becoming that but like I I still think it's probably like at the end of the day it'll end up being NBA on Christmas and then the Diamond Head Classic which unfortunately we didn't get this year because usually it's fun to see who wins that game yeah uh the Diamond Head Classic hopefully we'll be back next year as long as things are somewhat better and we can travel places that are uh far and you have a bunch of teams not in like the bubble playing places and all that uh, but I would like to see college basketball on Christmas more. I think because I was listening to Ion College Basketball podcast, Matt Norlander, Gary Parish, of course, 
and what and they're obviously two big reporters. And one thing Matt Norlander said was that one of the reasons that the players wanted to play on Christmas, from what he was told, is that college players want to be as much like NBA players as they can. And if Christmas is an NBA thing, they want to be able to play on Christmas too. Yeah, and like it. The other thing too is they're they're having to quarantine with their teams. May as well play on Christmas and. I get it completely this year. Maybe it's not something that continues because I, I do think Christmas time is like a time you usually give off to players to go see their families. Uh, obviously, some programs did that. Uh, the Big Ten did not. And if you're not going to do it, may as well play a game on Christmas. Uh, but going forward, I don't expect this to be a trend. But it's certainly, I think, good planning and good you know thinking on the part of the Big Ten to have these games yeah and one last thought for me there is that you could uh have the families there in normal years I mean at least uh, to have them there and be with their kid and watch the game and all that and like we saw that with um a, lot, a fair amount of them actually this week Michigan State Demetri Trice's parents were there and his brother Travis Trice who played for Michigan State obviously and then at, the day after Christmas in uh, Fort Worth at or yeah Fort Worth at the Dickies Arena between Gonzaga and Virginia, Drew Timmy's parents were there, and they're only like half an hour from the arena, so they got to be there. That's pretty cool. So I mean, I think incorporating all that kind of stuff could definitely make it work. Yeah. Uh, so getting into the actual games, Minnesota takes down Iowa 102 to 95. Marcus Carr has 30, hits the game. Tying shot to send it to overtime. Brandon Johnson from there just takes uh, Minnesota over the top in overtime. Just a fantastic performance, a fantastic game to watch. Uh, and Minnesota gets the win. Uh, Iowa moves to 7-2. Uh, what, what are your main takeaways from this game? I mean, you and I both had Minnesota winning this game, so to us it's not a surprise. Minnesota is really good in the first half. But they should have been up a lot more with Luka Garza only having five points. They were only up five at half, I believe. And then Iowa just came out guns blazing. C.J. Frederick was lighting it up. Luka Garza started getting some putbacks. But one thing that I saw, Minnesota is able to neutralize a little bit of what Luka Garza can do. And they were saying on the broadcast that Rick Pitino was texting with his son Richard, obviously, the head coach at Minnesota. He was like, are you going to post-trap Luka Garza? And some teams have tried it, but they don't do it the whole game. Minnesota post-trapped Luka Garza the entire game, and it worked. It wore him down eventually. He struggled at the start. He looked sluggish at the start, to be honest. And I think that could be the recipe to kind of neutralize Garza a bit, not stop him because nobody can do that. I think he still ended like 25 points. But if you can neutralize him in any way and make Jordan Bohannon and, C- and uh, Connor McCaffrey beat you, then you're doing good things. And you know, Rick Pitino had a hand in his son's team beating Iowa. Yeah, always tricky Rick got the tricks up his sleeves. And uh, that's definitely something that, you know, ended up helping Minnesota. And Garza still 32 points, 17 rebounds. He got his 32. points. He still got his, but it wasn't yeah. nearly an imp- yeah. as impressive as he normally is. Because he wasn't yeah. efficient. What was he from the field? 11 of 27. So, like. On one hand, it's impressive that Minnesota played that well on Garza, and he's 
still had 32-17, and 17, but mm-hmm. also impressive job on Minnesota to kind of not so much limit him, but just, like, force tough shots, make him have to work for points, and uh, in, at the end of the day, he ends up with only 32, which I – Considering Minnesota wins the game, that's a win. Uh, now, if Garza has 32 and you lose, that's tough, but they won the game. Uh, I thought one takeaway I had is Jordan Bohan just doesn't Disaster. work himself. No, he's just he doesn't have it. He yeah. just doesn't have it anymore. He's been bad this entire season, minus the North Carolina game. If you take that game out, I think he's shooting yeah. like 19% from three if you take that out. He's shooting 27% as a whole. But one guy that needs to get the ball more, and I, it just frustrates me that he doesn't. I don't know why C.J. Frederick isn't shooting like 10 threes a game. He's shooting 3.8 threes a game. He barely misses. Just give him the ball and let him shoot. I don't care if he's open. I don't care if he's double covered. He shoots the ball and he makes it. Yeah. I think, I personally, I like the Iowa lineup when – uh, Toussaint and Nunji are on the court with Garza, Frederick, and Wieskamp. Like, I think Garza, Frederick, Wieskamp, they're the three best players. We know that. But I I think Jack Nunji comes in uh, and kind of is a change of pace, you know, can play with Garza uh, and kind of let Garza take a break a little bit defensively because Nunji can defend pretty well. And then offensively, Joe Toussaint opens things up for Iowa. He's just, he's really quick, uh, is a good passer. I I would like to see Toussaint play a little bit more, uh, and as well as Jack Nunji. Yeah, I agree. I like that lineup a lot. I think most lineups without either of the McCaffrey brothers in the lineup are the best lineups for Iowa, because, I mean, the, yeah, they just don't have it on really either side of the ball, so. Yeah, I, I think... Garza, Frederick, Wieskamp, Toussaint, and then you can mix a match with like Nunji. I I Andy think Murray. give give Jordan Bohanna a couple weeks off because see if he can maybe maybe a couple weeks off can help Bohanna because he he doesn't have it. Yeah, he, and like I mean, just the way I can't. I'm just stunned after Marcus Carr hit the game tying three. There's five seconds left in the game. And they just let Jordan Bohannon run down the floor and just take a terrible shot. The ball shouldn't have even touched his hands once. I mean, insane to me that they even let him touch the ball. I I would have just given it to Garza and let him try to do something with it. Yeah, or anyone else. Cause yeah, pretty much anybody else, yeah. Jordan Bohannon has been a great player for Iowa in the past, too. I, I will credit him that. When he was before his hip injury, like he hit some really big shots and was huge for Iowa. I think in the 2019 season. Yeah, that shot against. Uh, yeah. I think he hit one against Nebraska and then Wieskamp to tie it, and then Wieskamp the next possession hit that off balance game winner against Nebraska. Yeah, I I think he hit one against Rutgers as well, mm-hmm. uh, back before Rutgers was good. So poor Rutgers was back. Or they were yeah. never here, so now they are. Now they're here. Uh, the other game, Wisconsin, offensive showcase. Uh, they beat Michigan State 85-76. to uh, Dimitri Trice had 29. He was playing fantastic. Uh, 
I think everyone came to realize Wisconsin's lineup is made up of players that are uh, 24, 25 years old at this point. Uh, but overall, good performance for Wisconsin. Brad Davidson rem- remains the youngest player in the Wisconsin rotation, which is kind of impressive because he feels like he's been in college forever. Uh, but credit to Wisconsin on the win. Uh, Trice, as mentioned, was good. And I think one takeaway is Michigan State defensively just can't get enough stops. Uh, they're allowing too many easy looks. Now, Wisconsin did shoot the ball really well. They got, you know, they made their shots to take advantage. But certainly, I think Michigan State defensively needs to improve greatly. If they're a team that wants to make the Final Four, they've got to be able to defend better than this. And usually Tom Izzo and Michigan State are, I think, we know Izzo as Mr. March. He'll get the team playing better towards the later part of the season, but right now it's not great. Yeah, definitely. The defense is a severe issue. I mean, Rocket Watts and Foster Lawyer cannot defend anybody. Uh, it's pretty brutal. And then at the five spot, no, none of them can defend anybody either. They just get so many easy layups, the opposing teams. It's just they can't win with allowing as many easy looks as they're like, allowing. And Rocket Watts has been terrible on offenses here, too. They need him to really step up. Yeah, they they need Rocket Watts to play better. Uh, Joey Hauser certainly has been really good. I think think Aaron Henry is kind of who he is. Like, he's a solid player, but I don't think he's a star. And, like, we were kind of talking about that early in the season when Michigan State was winning, the players kind of – the sum was greater than the parts, kind of saying. Like, none of the players are great players, but they – played well together and that's why they end up you know starting off by beating Notre Dame by a lot and wing at Duke now all of a sudden like the player like Josh Langford has an off night Rocket Watts has an off night all of a sudden the team's not clicking offensively they're not getting stops defensively and that's that's really the issue here yeah, definitely. And Josh Langford, like, he's a really good shooter still at this point, but that's about where his production ends. He's not the same player, but he's a solid player. Aaron Henry, though, he's – I think they need to just play him at point guard permanently. He's done it a little bit. He's not a true point guard, but I think he's their best option. He's a really good athlete, but he is not shooting the ball well. He's shooting, like, 12% from three right now, literally. That is needs to be improved upon. He doesn't need to be a great shooter, but he cannot be that poor at shooting. Yeah, well, he needs to be like a 35% shooter. Yeah, which he's been his two previous two years. Even like 31%. Yeah. Just make them sometimes. He's never making them. Yeah. I I do think there'll be some progression to the mean. Because, uh, like, I think he'll at some point in Big Ten play, he's going to start knocking down shots. Because he's knocked them down in the past. And I even if he's... You know, right now not doing it. I think he eventually will get back to it. But at the same point, he's got to start making them. And then, you know, the rest of the team, Langford, Watts, uh, Malik Hall, Gabe Brown, like, where are these guys at? They they didn't show up in this game. Defensively, the team's a mess. They don't really have a true rim-protecting big man. Uh, 
like Marble and Bingham just aren't it. Joey Hauser certainly is not it. He's j- really just a Ford. Thomas Kithier's not it. Like they're missing Xavier Tillman really bad right now. Yeah, Xavier Tillman is really what they're missing. You're definitely right with that. I like I at this point I think you could just play uh, Mati Sissoko a bit and just let him see what he, he's a freshman, but he can he cannot possibly be worse as a rim protector than anybody else on the floor. And that's what he's been known as throughout his high school and AAU, AAU career and all that as a rim protector. He may do nothing offensively, but at least you're gonna get stops sometimes on the defensive end. Yeah. Uh, I think you just got to try some stuff out because what what's going on right now just isn't working. Uh, it didn't work in the Northwestern game. We kind of thought that's a fluke performance, uh, but here they are getting lit up again by Wisconsin. Look, they'll play Minnesota here tonight. We'll make our picks on that game later. Who's to say that's they're going to get better by then? Uh, and they're staring 0-3 in Big 10 play right in the face. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this there's reason to be concerned about this Michigan State team just because defense matters, and they just don't – you know, when you have Cassius Winston, you can kind of mask some issues, and Cassius Winston, they obviously don't have him, and I don't think Tom Izzo really planned on replacing him. He didn't set out a good plan to replace Winston. Yeah. I think he kind of thought Rocket Watts could be the guy, uh, but he clearly hasn't been, you know, the true point guard that they kind of needed. And really, you know, Rocket Watts hasn't been the guy. Aaron Henry, maybe he's the guy. Uh, Foster Lawyer, I think, is solid as a point guard, but, like, he's, like, 5'11", small, and can't really shoot, so... He's kind of limited in everything else. Yeah, definitely. Lawyer can definitely shoot, but they need a true guy who can defend. Lawyer's a terrible defender. He was letting Demetrius Trice run circles around him. You just need someone that can be able to be athletic enough and strong enough to be able to contain guys, and they just don't have that. Yeah. Uh, Moving on, Louisville. They finally did it. They beat Kentucky first time since 2016. Uh, they win 62 to 59. Uh, Carly Jones, David Johnson were good. That's the extent of anyone who was good on Louisville. Uh, Davion Mintz looked solid, and that's about it for Kentucky. So, uh, what are your takeaways? Because my take away is both these teams stink yeah kentucky's terrible uh olivier sar didn't score did he um i think he had a, yeah he had one point ah, yeah he's terrible too uh louisville i mean right now they're a bad team but eventually they will be good if malik williams and charles midland are able to come back and be healthy because both those guys can really play i think that they will be big for louisville just when they can get healthy louisville's a team It'll likely end up being like a 9 or a 10 seed, but I would not want to face them in March because they will be dangerous. Yeah, and part of the thing with Louisville is they're not really healthy right now. Like, they still have Malik Williams out. They still have Charles Menland out. 
those are two huge place pieces because like Dre Davis, no offense, he's probably better as a backup. Sam Williamson, we kind of expected him to take a step forward. He hasn't really done it. I think Johnson and Jones can clearly lead a team. We know what they're they are good players. They're really good players. But I think Charles Minling can kind of come in, be that 12-point-a-game, play good defense, play some four for the team. And Malik Williams, as soon as he gets healthy, he we know what he is. He's a really good uh, five-man. But right now they're just they're limited in what they can do because they don't have two of their four best players. I think, like, you look at the team, I – would say Johnson and Jones are the two best players on Louisville, even with Williams and Charles Menland in. But having missing your third and fourth best players is just it's very hard to understate how big those losses are. And look, look, Menland I think is going to be playing soon. I think they talked about he was in practice recently, so. That's certainly a good sign. He's probably their, I'd say, fourth best player, and then Williams is their third best player. Once they get those two players back in the rotation, I think Louisville will be good. But uh, right now they're kind of struggling their way along to a six and one record, which credit to them for being six and one despite missing uh, their third and fourth best players. Yeah, they've held their own without those guys, but Kentucky. There's just they're done. I mean, I, I think we're days, weeks away from BJ Boston and Terrence Clark calling it a wrap on the season and declaring for the NBA draft and opting out because what's there really to play for for them at this point? Um, a one in six team and has never made the tournament before. Never. There's the, never the been SC, a single time. SEC championship game. Yeah, I, I think if they stay, they could end up winning it because I don't think the SEC is all that good, and I think this team could be good eventually. But they have such an uphill battle now because of how terrible they've been. They have one win, and it was against Moorhead State. That's obviously not going to push the needle at all. And it's not like they have any like terrible losses. They just don't have – they have too many losses. Yeah. I think the thing is with Kentucky, they're – one, they're not a complete basketball team, but – the only way they're making the NCAA tournament at this point is if they win the SEC tournament because one six, even like technically, I guess they could go undefeated in SEC play, but they're going to take some losses. And like, I just think the only way they really have a realistic path, uh, especially with the way they're playing is just winning the SEC tournament, which you know, I don't think it's too outrageous of a thing to say because you look at the SEC, I think Tennessee's good. We haven't really seen them play anyone, no disrespect, but uh, how about Tennessee plays people? We'll talk about uh, the good team they'll play here sh- sh- later, but uh, right to this point, uh, outside of being Colorado by seven on their home court, they haven't really proven much, at least to me. Missouri's been good, but Missouri, I think, is also one of those teams kind of taking advantage of the experience factor. Yeah. I think they're taking advantage of being experienced in a pandemic year. So 
I think they'll regress to the main like Arkansas, Alabama, uh, Florida. Like those those teams don't scare you. So I definitely would tend to believe that Kentucky has a chance to win the SEC tournament. Whether they will, that's another you know topic of discussion that we don't really need to speak for for another two months. But the I think they're at that point where they pretty much need to win the SEC tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and you just look at their upcoming schedule. They get Mississippi State on the road on Saturday. Mississippi State's not a very good team, but I don't think Kentucky wins that game. But then they get Bandy at home. They absolutely have to win that game. If they don't, uh, they might as well just opt out as a team for the season. Then they play at Florida, which, I mean, Florida coming into the season – I expected them to be pretty good, but they also had the presumptive SEC player of the year on their team. And he's now, Keontae Johnson's obviously not playing again this season. So that changes the outlook for Florida quite a bit. I don't think they're a very good team without Keontae Johnson. So I think that that's a winnable game for for Kentucky for sure. Yeah. They'll have to get really high. I don't, I don't think they find a way to get back in the at-large picture, but I guess you never know. But but realistically, their next seven, eight games, I could see them winning all of these games because they play – They I, I could see them beating Mississippi State, although I don't think they will. They should beat Vandy. I think they could beat Florida. I think they can beat Bama at home. I think they can win at Auburn. I think they can win at Georgia, and then they're at home against LSU. I think those are all games they can win. So if they win those games, they're 9-6. and six. That changes the outlook a lot. I still don't think they'd be a tournament team, but that that could get them on the right track. I mean, I can just definitely see them winning those games. Well, they'll they'll have to do uh, something they haven't done at all this season. So they'll they'll have to beat a high major opponent because right now their only win is Morehead State, and that's that's not going to be enough. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, the next game to talk about is Northwestern is back. They're they're now ranked. They beat Ohio State 71 to 70. Uh, three straight wins. Northwestern's leading the Big Ten. In, just a completely impressive performance by uh, the Wildcats coming from behind to win this game. Uh, Boo Booey made some big time shots. Uh, just Really impressed by Northwestern, who was a team coming into the season I thought was going to finish either 13th or 14th in the Big Ten standings. Yeah, I had them dead last. I mean, they've been super impressive. This is a team that can really shoot the basketball. Boo Booey, Miller Cop, and then you have Ty Berry, the freshman. Those are all guys that can shoot. And Chase Audige, the transfer from William & Mary, he's gotten hot at the end of games, but as a whole, he hasn't been very good yet this season. Those are... a dangerous for players right there that can definitely carry uh northwestern throughout the season i think northwestern is a very dangerous team i think they're legit yeah they they definitely look good and boo booey taking over down the stretch it was chase adij against indiana it's boo booey in this game miller cop certainly miller cop and pete nance are a good front court duo uh, they have ryan young who can play at the center spot they're kind of versatile in their approach uh and then i think they're good at 
really any spot. Like I, Adige and Bowie are good at the guard spots. Uh, Nance and Cobb are good at the forward spots. Barron as well, uh, or Barron and Young as well can come off the bench uh, as they did in this game. I just think this Northwestern team, uh, they're pretty well put together. Uh, there's, I still think they'll probably be regressing back to the mean uh, because, like, I think just looking at their upcoming schedule at Iowa, at Michigan, Illinois, at home, at Ohio State, that's a brutal stretch of games uh, upcoming and. That's kind of life in the Big Ten, but certainly Northwestern's put itself in the top 25 for one, which is impressive, but in position where they can almost afford to take, you know, a cup, have a bad couple of weeks and still be on the right side of the NCAA tournament bubble, which is impressive. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, just an interesting thing to look out for, for sure. Yeah, and certainly going to be interesting to see how they do we'll uh, talk about uh, their game at Iowa a little bit later on the podcast Uh, certainly a game if they could win would certainly throw any of the remaining haters out the window but we'll have to wait and see on that one I think on Ohio State once again it's kind of uh, Walker and Washington really weren't impressive in this game uh, Washington only went one of six from three. Kind of need him to play a little bit better. I think Lydell and Kyle Young are both, you know, solid pieces. Uh, Seth Towns, you got 11 off the bench from him. Good performance from Towns, which is, you know, something good to see. I think Ohio State's deep. It's Outside of Lydell, who who do you really trust on the roster? And maybe it's Washington, maybe it's Walker, but I I still think Ohio State's ceiling is limited. Yeah, I agree. C.J. Walker, he does a lot of things well, but he doesn't shoot the ball well from three. He can drive. He's a good facilitator, good defender. He's almost flawless from the foul line this season. I definitely trust Liddell the most out of anybody. It's not even close. I like Justice Suing a lot. I liked him a lot when he played for Cal a few seasons ago. And then you look at Dwayne Washington. He's the best shooter on the team. I'd like to see Justin Arns get more run. Kyle Kyle Young is just a player that, you know, tough guy. But uh, Seth Towns looked very impressive in their most recent game against Northwestern. I think he will be massive for the Buckeyes down the stretch because he looked like Harvard Seth Towns there for a minute. Yeah, certainly that's something that if you can get Harvard level Seth Towns, that's something that raises their ceiling. Uh, whether he can stay healthy or not is you know another question, but certainly getting that performance from Seth Towns was definitely beneficial. Yeah, Seth Towns is going to be massive down the stretch if Ohio State wants to reach their if they have a ceiling. It's with Seth Towns being really good. Yes. Uh, last one here. Illinois beats Indiana 69 to 60 at home. Uh, and gets a good shooting performance from Armand Franklin. But at the end of the day, Kofi Coburn was better than Trace Jackson Davis. And IO had another IO game. Uh, he's playing like a first team All American, maybe even Big Ten Player of the Year uh, if 
people want to say Luca Garza isn't it. Uh, Ayo would certainly, I think, be the number two player in that race. But another good performance from Illinois, and they look to be off and running in Big Ten play. Yeah, Ayo had a tough decision to make whether he's coming back or not. I will lean towards that he was coming back because there's just so much potential for him to become a first-round pick, something he would not have been in this class, even though it's a weak draft, because he was not a good shooter last year, only 29%, and he put in work. He is shooting 44% from distance this season, 24 points a game, seven boards, five assists. Ayo Desumu is a complete star in college basketball. He already was, and now he's one of the top five players in the country, without a doubt, a first-team All-American. And I think what he – and obviously Illinois is great. We've been big on Illinois. The two wins this week were huge. They were able to get some stops on defense finally. But you look at how important this – the I.O. decision could be huge for the future college basketball because you have a lot of fringe guys who opt to stay in the draft. I.O. could have just set the blueprint for guys that are fringe guys, second round, maybe late first round, who were able to come back and improve their stock. I think he may have shown how much you can really do that. Obi Toppin did it a few years ago, but Io is the kind of guy that can make that, you know, make that trend change to where guys that are late second round picks are coming back. Same thing with Corey Kispert. Yeah, uh, getting you know second round picks coming back and like you mentioned Kispert as well, probably mo- both those players probably move themselves in the first round, which is something that. I think is college basketball almost needs a couple of these players to come back and say, I want to go from a second round pick to being a first round pick uh, and then getting dramatically better and becoming a first round pick. I think that's something that's beneficial to sport overall. Yeah. And that's not like the reason I said he come out. He said he wants to win a national championship, which they can do. And obviously if he was on like, Vanderbilt he wouldn't have came back to school but obviously improving his stock is another one of the main reasons he probably wanted to return and I think getting those second round guys to come back is big but more on Illinois DeMonte Williams has been I know if we look at the sample size it depends what you look at but if you do if you do it based on 20 plus three-point shots this year which a lot of guys with how many games some have played and haven't played there's a lot that have been around that uh, mark DeMonte Williams has been the best shooter in college basketball this year. He's shooting 72%, I believe. Let me pull that up real fast. I wrote something about him last week about how improved he's been from three. He's been a career 27% shooter from three. This year he is shooting 69% nights from deep this season. Uh, I don't know if that's sustainable, but if he can stay in like the 40%, that's plenty good enough. Yeah, I mean, he's been very impressive this year. Yeah. Uh, moving in it on It's Our Pick section, we go through, uh, we look at, I guess, the we'll make some picks. Uh, starting out, Maryland versus Wisconsin. The line is 9.5 in favor of Wisconsin. Uh, does Wisconsin win, and do they cover? Yeah, they win and cover. I think they probably win by, like, 18. Maryland's just not good. Yeah, I I agree on that one. Michigan State at Minnesota. Uh, Michigan State's favored by two and a half. Uh, who do you like in this game? Minnesota wins. I just don't think Michigan State's great right now, and Minnesota I think is really good. 
Yeah. Here's the thing. It's a tough game for me because this is prime letdown spot for Minnesota. And we saw, I think they had a prime letdown spot against Illinois and they lost by 30. Uh, I don't think they'll lose to Michigan State by 30, but um, I'll, I'm going to take Michigan State to win. I don't, I don't trust anything to put points on it. I think... The defense for Michigan State will be improved. I'll say that. Yeah, if they can improve on defense, I think they could win, but I don't see it happening. So I think they lose. Uh, And then the last one, Colorado at Arizona. Arizona is favored by two. Who do you like in this one? I think Colorado wins. I like Colorado just a lot. They're a veteran team. They do a lot of things well. They have a star point guard with McKinley Wright. I do think the Buffaloes will be able to go on the road in Tucson and beat Arizona. I will go with Colorado. I you know, wanted to go with Arizona earlier in the day, but the more I think about it, the more I like Colorado. So give me the Buffaloes as well. Moving on, Tuesday's games, Purdue at Rutgers. I don't see a line out for that one. Uh, Ken Palm has it like Rutgers by five. All right. And yet yeah, same with Haslam metrics. So I'll take Rutgers with the spread. Rutgers, Rutgers, I think, can win by 10, but I could also see them losing at the same time because Cliff Amore is definitely not playing. Mawat Mag, I don't think he's playing either. He might play, but Miles Johnson needs to stay out of foul trouble or else it could be a disaster against Travion Williams and Zach Eady. If Miles Johnson stays out of foul trouble, they win easily, but if he's in foul trouble, it'll be a lot closer than it should be. Yeah, I, that's a good point on the Maury being out. I'll still take Wreckers. Uh, I trust that Johnson can stay on the court and play like 25 minutes, and if he does play 25 minutes, Wreckers is going to win. And- I agree. I think even if he fouls out, they win. But I just, I'd like to, you know, it's more, more worrying if he fouls out with 10 minutes left in the game again. Yeah. Uh, Clemson will host Florida State. Um, Clemson's favored by two. The line is out for this one, unlike the Purdue Rutgers game. Uh, Who do you like in this one? I'm going Florida State. I think that Clemson is right at on the top of the fraud alert list. I know they've been a great defensive team. I don't know if it's just sustainable if they're the second-best defensive team in college basketball. Uh, I'm not buying this Clemson team uh, at all. I just don't trust their offense. They need to get – they turn the ball over a ridiculous amount for a team that plays as slow as they do. I don't trust this team. I think Florida State's significantly more talented. They're long. They'll be able to force those turnovers. I think Florida State wins by eight. Yeah, I, I like Florida State to win, uh, which means they'll also cover. Uh, I think they're they're long and athletic. Uh, Clemson, I think, has just not been great offensively. I think it'll be a close game, uh, but I think Florida State finds a way to win it uh, on the road. Uh, moving on, next game, Northwestern at Iowa. The line is Iowa minus 11. Who do you like? 11? Oh, my God. That is unbelievable. Uh, I think, well, I think Northwestern definitely covers, and I think Northwestern wins. I know this is probably like a big-time like, surprise, but I think Northwestern beats them. 
I think that their defense just is so bad. I don't think that they're going to be able to stop the shooting trio of Ty Berry, Boo Booey, and uh, Miller Cop. I think they're going to probably take the blueprint from Minnesota and try to post-trap him with Pete Nance and Ryan Young most of the game, or Luke Garza post-trap, obviously. I think that Northwestern wins by two, 94-92. I will go with Iowa. I I just keep on thinking, and part of this is, like, I just keep on thinking Northwestern is going to lose at some point. They're not this good which could backfire, but I'll take no, Iowa. I'll take, I'll take the 11 points. Uh, I'll go down swing with my uh, Northwestern's going to lose takes. Uh, just give me the bet. I'm, I'm swinging. I may be swinging and missing, but I'll go down with the Northwestern can't be this good. Can they bet? Uh, that's, that's the ship I'm going to die on. Yeah, I, I can hear that argument for sure. All right. Two more before we get into our primetime games. Michigan at Maryland. Uh, Haslametrics has... Yes, it is at Maryland. Okay, so Haslametrics has Michigan favored by two. Who do you like against that line? That's that's an interesting one. Michigan by two, you said? Yes. Michigan, I think, will win and cover then. Yeah, I I think I like Michigan to win, and if the line is three or below, my philosophy is just take the team you think is going to win, and I think Michigan wins. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Colorado will play at USC. Kind of a, I think, so they play Arizona tonight, obviously. We have Colorado winning, but then they got to play at USC. I'll take USC at home. Uh, they're in Haslametrics 0.5 point underdog, so I guess it's close to pick them. I'll take USC to win. Yeah, it's one point favorite for USC on Ken Palm. I think USC wins. Hold up. Missouri will host Tennessee 9 p.m. Eastern on the SEC Network. First place in the SEC is on the line. The Missouri Tigers, Tennessee has both these teams have been uh, unbeatable this year, to put it frank. Uh, neither team has lost. Uh, both are 6-0. and Missouri has beaten Illinois and Oregon. A little bit better wins for the Tigers, but this should be a fun one. Uh, it's going to be, the, I think, the game to watch this weekend. Who do you like in this one? I think the Volunteers win uh, pretty handily, honestly. I think they win by 7 or 8 probably on the road. I just think top to bottom they're a more talented team. You have the two freshmen, Keon Johnson, Jaden Springer. Then E. Pons has really struggled offensively this season, but you know what you're getting with him offensively. John Fulkerson's been pretty solid. But Victor Bailey Jr., the transfer from Oregon, is their leading scorer, nearly 14 points a contest. He is a knockdown shooter. I think he'll play a big role in this game. But when you look at Missouri for me, 
they're they have some pretty glaring issues. I think they're a bit of a fraudulent team at the moment. They uh, obviously Jeremiah Tillman is more foul foul prone than probably anybody ever. Uh, this has a game where he's definitely going to foul out with like eight minutes left in the game just because the way that Tennessee plays, they play physical, they get downhill a lot. They can definitely cause him to foul out pretty handily. And they almost lost to Bradley, a solid Bradley team last week, but they almost lost to Bradley. And Missouri shooting 28% from three against a really good defensive team. I think they're going to not have any success on offense, and I think Tennessee's going to be able to walk into Missouri's home arena and beat them. Yeah, I, I like Tennessee as well. I think the the Haslametrics line is at four uh, in favor of Tennessee. At that number, I'd pr- I probably will stay away. I'll probably pick one of these in at the end when all is said and done. But at that number, I really don't have a lean. I think Tennessee wins a close one. Uh, I think it's going to be really low scoring the Haslam projection 68 to 64 I think it goes under that uh, I think, I think it'll be it'll, in the 50s yeah I think I'll go Tennessee 60 to 55 will be my prediction I think you look at Tennessee they've got really good defensive players and like Pons has struggled offensively this year he's great defensively uh I don't really Victor Bailey's been really good offensively I don't know who I can trust on Tennessee to go out and get get 20 points. Uh, maybe it's Bailey, maybe it's Fulkerson, but I don't really have the trust in anyone on Tennessee or Missouri to say uh, that, quite frankly, that I can go out and say, okay, this guy can go out, get me 20. I don't really have that trust in any players, but there, I think that some of the parts is just good and just – Overall, all the players on Tennessee are better. I think Victor Bailey's been good. Uh, Fulkerson's good inside. Jane Springer, Keon Johnson are both good freshmen. Uh, Josiah James and Vescovi have both been good as sophomores. Like, There's a lot of really good players for Tennessee. Uh, I don't necessarily trust that they'll go out and put on a great offensive performance, drop 80 on Missouri. I think he'll be a grinded out type game, which I think both teams are kind of in for that. Cause I think Missouri's been kind of playing above their offensive ceiling thus far this year. I don't think they're as good as they have been thus far offensively. Uh, but I think it's just going to be a really fun game. I think Tennessee wins a close one on the road, but it'll be certainly fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. I think this this has Jaden Springer breakout game written all over it. I think he could drop 15-plus points in this one. I think Tennessee wins probably 64-57. to 57. All right, so you, I assume you like Tennessee with the points then? Yep. All right, the Give official the predictions are in. Both of us have Tennessee. Sean has Tennessee covering. I guess technically I have Tennessee covering because the spread is listed at four and I picked them to win by five. So Tennessee will win and cover on the road against Missouri. Mark it down. All right, moving on here, Minnesota and Wisconsin, they will play uh, Thursday 
This is going to be at 4.30 Eastern tip time. Uh, it is first-team All-American uh, favorite Marcus Carr versus the Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, Marcus Carr also has Booth Gotch on his team. Uh, so first-team All-American, uh, first-team All-Name player against the Wisconsin Badgers. Who do you like in this one? I think this, you know, I'm big on Minnesota. I'm big on Wisconsin. It's a tough game for me just because they are two teams that play just contrasting styles. You have the fast pace of Minnesota compared to the slow, really slow pace of Wisconsin. I think that the big play of Wisconsin will be able to hurt Minnesota enough to where Wisconsin can be able to win. But the Ken Palm projected favorite Wisconsin by nine, I think it's going to be about a four-point victory for Wisconsin. So I don't think Wisconsin will be able to cover those nine points there. But I think that Minnesota will be able to play well enough. Marcus Carr is obviously tremendous. But I don't think Minnesota has enough players to stop Micah Potter and Nate Reavers in this game. And I think Minnesota will be able to dictate – or I think Wisconsin will be able to dictate the pace on their home floor. Yeah, I I think Wisconsin's the smart pick. I will take Wisconsin. I I think – like you look at the Wisconsin team, they're – their experience they know how to play fast teams they know how to play slow teams like they've been any type of style that they'll face they've played that type of style before and I think Wisconsin's players are overall just a little bit more well-rounded I I think Marcus Carr best player in this game he's going to be great uh but like Leon Robbins I think he's solid inside. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get out of him. Booth Gotches and Gabe Kalsher. Maybe Brandon Johnson has a big game like he had against Iowa uh, last week. We, we don't really – I think with the core of Minnesota, we can't really trust it. Uh, I trust Marcus Carr more than I trust any of the Wisconsin Badgers players. But overall, the core of Minnesota is not – like I think – the second best player for Wisconsin is like I think Trice is probably would you say the best player for Wisconsin? No, I would say Micah Potter probably from top to bottom is Wisconsin's best player just because he doesn't shoot the ball a ton, but when he does, he makes most of them. But right, Trice so, is second in my opinion. Yeah, so like you have Micah Potter, you could say Trice, like whoever it is, they're be- they're better than Booth Gotch, uh, Brad Davidson and Nate Reavers are better than uh, Robbins and Kalsher. I think those are statements I'm comfortable with. Uh, I've liked what I've seen out of Johnny Davis. He's kind of a change of pace guard. Uh, Going to be, I think, a real good player in the future. But overall, I just think this Wisconsin team knows what they're doing. I think they win this game uh, probably by about seven or eight points. I don't think they'll get quite to that nine number that Kim Palm is projecting, but I think they'll win the game. Uh, Give me 74 to 67. I think Wisconsin wins. uh, Score is tough. I'll say, I think Wisconsin could score a lot in this game. I'll say 80 to 76, Wisconsin. All right. You've you've got a much more entertaining game than I do. Yeah. It, it certainly should be fun to watch. I, I'll be interested to see how they kind of guard uh, Micah Potter. Does Brad Davidson decide to try to punch him in the nuts? I don't know. He's 
done it to other players in the past. Uh, he's not full Grayson Allen, but definitely uh, so, someone that people aren't big fan of. Maybe they get Brad Davidson to foul out Marcus Carr by taking five charges. We don't know how they'll defend him, but it's certainly going to be fun to watch. Yeah, definitely. It's a game to tune into. I could see Minnesota winning, but I think they at the very least don't lose by nine. That will wrap it up for Making the Madness. Make sure to subscribe to uh, us on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to the podcast, and to the YouTube channel. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to that. We'll be back next time.